What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's so the show goes. You hit me up with a few questions dealing with anything and everything from morality, spirituality, relationship advice, church teaching, and the list goes on. I will then sit with your questions. I will pray with them. I will study. And hopefully I will respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. But here's my disclaimer. I'm not perfect. Therefore, the advice I share with you, the responses that I give to you might not be good for you. If that's the case, please reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. But if my advice is difficult, but, but true and good for you, then I, I really want to encourage you to lean into Jesus Christ and more prayer and more study and more worship and more service to the poor, so the poor so that God can give you the graces that you may need to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you are a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh, spell out A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and other podcast formats and share us on your social media pages. This helps other people to find out about the show. If it's been good for you, potentially it can become good for other people. And if you want to uh, join us for the Ask Father Josh show on Ascension Presents, that airs every other Tuesday on the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. On that show, I only answer one question uh, from three different perspectives, from the perspective of how it affects our relationship with God, the church, and each other. And on this show, I will address a few questions and not necessarily from those many different perspectives. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Gregorian masses, and we're also going to be talking about discerning the priesthood when we have disabilities. But before we get into those two good questions, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story is this. I spent some time in prayer uh, this this morning, and I was praying with the Gospel of Luke, uh, specifically with the Annunciation story. And the, for the first time ever, the word that stuck out to me as I was praying with that particular passage from the Bible was the word troubled. Mary was troubled. And I began to ask the Lord, like, Lord, how long was she troubled? Whenever she was having this, this dialogue with this angel, how long was she troubled? And, and also, I mean, how did the dialogue take place? Was it through an apparition? Was it through a locution? Uh, did the angel appear to look like a person? Was it while she was awake or was she sleeping? Did it happen like within five minutes, 10 minutes, a couple hours? Did it last a couple of days? Did this, did this discourse, did this dialogue between her and this angel Gabriel happen over the course of a few weeks? And if so, how long was she troubled? How long did she experience that interior trouble in her heart? Um, because again, 
Jesus Christ had his own passion experience when he was in the garden, and, and maybe Mary was in the garden whenever the, the invitation happened, and maybe she also experienced that, that interior trouble like Jesus did, and, and maybe she even sweat blood like Jesus did. I don't know. I mean, obviously, she's perfect. She's without sin. She's totally in line with the will of God, but that doesn't mean that she would not experience trouble because the Bible says she was troubled. So how long did that trouble last? And I just began to pray with that. And again, uh, as I lean into Mary, I resolved to, to finish the scripture, and, and the, the angel said, do not be afraid. And, and I could just perceive the Lord saying those same things, those same words to me, like, Josh, do not be afraid. Uh, anytime in the Bible, whenever the Lord gives someone a new mission, it says, the Lord is with you, the Lord be with you. That means that they've been entrusted with a new mission. So Mary received that, that message from the angel, like, the Lord is with you, you have a new mission. This new mission was not part of her original plan. It's not what she and Joseph discerned. It's not what they prayed about. It was something new. It troubled her heart, clearly. Uh, but she also received that blessing to not be afraid. And so as the Lord constantly, always, I love, I love him so much. I love Jesus. He's my everything. But he always, he always presents me with just new things and new opportunities to grow my relationship with him. And I'm always like, man, like sometimes I feel like this interior trouble um, in my heart. And I'm like, uh, man, like, Lord, this is, this is a lot. And so I was able to go to be with the Blessed Mother and hear the angel say to me, Josh, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because ultimately whatever God invites us to do is going to be for our, our sanctification and for uh, the transformation of the community that he's placed us to dwell in. So it was like a beautiful moment of like interior peace that I experienced through my time spent with God in prayer uh, because I was led to pray with this particular verse from the Gospel of Luke that, yes, even though we may pray about things and plan on things and work on things and fast and everything, we can still be off because our discernment is not infallible. And that gives me a lot of freedom to just trust, like, even if I'm, if I don't see the whole picture and God invites me to something new, it's okay. I need to reverence my heart whenever I feel that, that, that my heart being troubled. But I also will realize and come to recognize through my time spent in prayer that, that the Lord would not call me to something that he would not give me the grace to bring to fulfillment. And so, yeah, so that's my glory story. It's just the fruit of prayer for a lot of interior peace. Got some feedback in uh, from one of our listeners in rural South Africa. Um, I cannot pronounce your name correctly. I'm going to try. Thifu uh, Siwi uh, writes this, The evangelizing work that you are doing is much appreciated. You are appreciated. Lele, don't you know you are appreciated? My home parish in rural South Africa does not have local priests. The two that are there come from DRC and Senegal. And I know they are overstretched. It is God's blessing for some of us to have access to you and your work and ascension in general. I am listening to Follow Mike's Bible in a Year podcast still on day 217 though, but you guys rock. Thank you. Look, man, thank you so much. I am so grateful for your feedback. Yeah, uh, first of all, Ascension is amazing. I'm so grateful to work with this organization of disciples. Follow Mike's Bible in a Year podcast is also an absolute gift to the entire church. I've walked with so many people who've had deeper conversions because of his Bible in a Year podcast, like literally people who've like had life-changing conversions because of that podcast. So I'm so grateful for Father Mike, and I'm also grateful for you for letting me know that the work that we're doing is bearing fruit all the way out there in South Africa. I did my DNA stuff and I found out that I have my roots because obviously right my ancestors on my dad's side of the family were were slaves and so like the furthest we were able to go back to our, our ancestry was Mississippi uh, because of slavery but because of the DNA testing stuff I was able to discover that my roots go to a few places Nigeria West Ivory Coast 
Where else? Uh, West Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Cameroon. Uh, what else? The Congos. So, yeah, I have a few places that I've been able to identify. So when I go to Africa, and I will go there one day, God willing, if the Lord permits, I'm going to visit those places and spaces where my ancestors dwelt and worshiped the Lord. But speaking of worshiping the Lord, let's jump into our first question about the Mass, and specifically the Gregorian Masses. All right, this first question comes in from Cyprian, another name of one of the great African saints in our church's history. St. Cyprian writes this, since it's the month of November. Uh, do you remember? It is the month of November. I'm wondering what the church teaches on Gregorian masses. It's a pious belief among some that if a set of Gregorian masses is said for a deceased person who died in the state of grace, that person will get freed from purgatory by the end of this set of masses. Is this the official church teaching. Was this an indulgence granted by a Pope? Thanks and God bless Cyprian. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to give you the history and I'm going to give you what the, the church actually teaches to the sacred congregation on indulgences. And then I'm going to give you my perspective, which again, I'm not infallible, but I'll give you my perspective on the whole thing. So historically, Gregorian masses take the name from St. Gregory the Great. He was the Pope from the year 590 to 604. Now, St. Gregory the Great, he, uh, is really the one who contributed to the spread of this practice of having 30 masses said for 30 days in a row for the deliverance of the holy souls in purgatory. Because in his dialogues, he, he tells us about an experience that he had, a subjective experience that he had where he celebrated masses for 30 consecutive days that were offered for the repose of the soul of a monk by the name of Justus. Um, who died in a convent in, in Rome. And at the end of the 30th mass that was celebrated on his behalf, Justus appeared to one of his fellow monks and announced that he had been delivered from the flames of purgatory. Yeah, so, sorry, I got ADD moment. Yeah, so anyways, so the custom, this custom then of celebrating 30 masses in a row, it not only is something that is found in the writings of St. Gregory, but it's also biblical. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 8, 30 days went by where people mourned and grieved the loss of Moses. Moses passed away. It says the Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. And so just like the people mourned for 30 days over and on behalf of one person, Moses, Gregorian masses are offered for 30 days in a row after the death or on the anniversary of the death of one person for that one person. And th this custom, what it does is it recognizes the church's teaching on purgatory, that when we die, if we die in a state of grace, we will go to heaven. But before we get to heaven, we must be purified because even if we die in a state of grace, we're still not perfect. And Jesus Christ was perfect. Mary was immaculate. We are not. So the majority of us, whenever we die, we will go through what's called purgatory, which is that phase of being purified by the blood of Christ. In the book of Revelation, John, the beloved disciple, said that nothing unclean can enter into heaven. And so, because we are not perfectly clean at the moment of our death, we are purified by the grace of God through 
purgatory. And so what this custom of these masses recognizes is that, yeah, we don't know how long purgatory is because it's outside of time, but there is a belief that, that if we do these masses for someone who did pass away in a state of grace, which means they're on their way to heaven, that these masses can benefit the soul of our dearly departed. The Sacred Congregation uh, on Indulgences writes this, the offering of Gregorian masses has a special efficacy for obtaining from God the speedy deliverance of a suffering soul, and that this is a pious and reasonable belief of the faithful. It is a pious and reasonable belief of the faithful. Does that mean that it's going to happen every time? Not necessarily, right? This was St. Gregory's subjective experience, and it worked for him, but it might not be the case for our loved ones. So is it worth still doing? Heck yeah. But that doesn't mean that we should objectively say that every time someone dies and they don't go to hell, that if I do this Gregorian Masses for them, that that's going to, on the 30th day of the Mass being celebrated, that they're going to make it to the beatific vision. Not necessarily the case. Now, what if the person already is experiencing the beatific vision? What if the person is already in heaven? Are those Masses wasted? negative. They are not wasted. God will apply the graces from those masses to whoever needs them in their walk toward eternity. So um, they are helpful. They are good to do. I recommend doing them, but but they're not magic. It's not magic. It's not like you could just do this and then like, it's not going to work that way, but we can have a reasonable belief as the faithful that, that they will be granted that grace, but yet and still not our will, not our time, but God's will and God's time. Whatever that soul needs is what they're going to get in purgatory. God knows more than us. And so if they need more than those 30 masses celebrated, then they're going to need more than 30 masses. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we don't get to play God and determine when and where and how somebody enters into the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. We are just responsible for praying and fasting and doing penances and having masses said for our loved ones um, because it's a spiritual work of mercy. So speaking of that, Spiritual works of mercy are oftentimes performed not only by the lay members of the body of Christ, but specifically when it comes to these masses, these masses are celebrated by priests. So our next question comes in from Thomas. Thomas writes this. Hey, Father, I'm a student at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and I'm discerning the priesthood slash religious life. One of the doubts on my heart that I've been praying on is a pre-existing condition that I've had since before I was born. I'm thinking about getting a service dog but I'm worried that my condition might keep me from living my possible vocation. Are dioceses and communities usually open to people in my situation? This um, is actually a really, really, really great, great question, Thomas, because you have dignity. You are called to be a saint. And there are so many saints in our churches, 2000 plus year history, um, who had different things going on in their lives, whether they were physical disabilities uh, or whether they were mental illnesses, like there are canonized saints who experienced things that uh, many of them would prefer to have not to experience, but they but they did. So as far as like with regards to physical differences, um, I, I can tell you that the priest who was my rector at the seminary that I attended for four years, St. Joseph's Abbey, the rector is a guy named Father Gregory Bouquet. Father Gregory Bouquet is a monk, so he's a religious and he's a priest. And he's a religious priest who's blind. And he's been the rector of the seminary, I don't know, man, maybe for 25 years, maybe even more than that. 
and he's been one of the greatest priests I've known. He is one of the priests who vested me whenever I was ordained a priest. He and my buddy, Father Andrew Merrick, vested me together. Um, he is very capable of holiness and of accompanying us in our holiness. And he's still walking with a number of young men. I think St. Joseph's Seminary College is one of the largest seminaries in the United States of America. And he's doing a great job as, as the rector. And so he has that that difference and that he cannot see the way we can see, but yet he is still a priest for that order, that monastery. Um, and he's serving the universal church. There's also a priest, Father Ming Park, uh, he is uh, one of fewer than two dozen deaf priests worldwide, but he was ordained uh, recently. He's been deaf since uh, he was, I think, two years old. He's a chaplain at St. Francis of Assisi Deaf Catholic Church in Landover Hills, Maryland. Um, and he also does other ministries throughout the, the diocese, specifically serving the, the deaf population overall. But again, he's a priest. Uh, he's deaf, just like Father Gregory's blind, and they're both ordained. There's also another guy who is on the road to becoming a saint. His cause for canonization has officially opened up. Uh, his name is Father Atkinson. Father Atkinson uh, was, I think, an Augustinian priest. And when he was in formation, he was involved in an accident where he became a paraplegic. He was paralyzed. And and he uh, was ordained a priest as a paralyzed man. And so he served as a chaplain. And he celebrated mass. And he was a coach. And he was a teacher. And, uh, and just a, a holy, holy man. And again, his cause for canonization is open right now. So whether you're blind or deaf or paralyzed, uh, that should not prevent you from responding to God's invitation if he is indeed calling you to become a priest. Also, it might not be blind or, or deaf or, or being paralyzed. It could be mental illnesses. I mean, and again, those there are saints who had mental illnesses who were priests. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, experienced uh, extreme OCD at times. Uh, venerable Rutilio Grande, who will become blessed of Rutilio Grande, experienced scrupulosity. Um, uh, Saint Oscar Romero experienced obsessive compulsive disorder. And, uh, and, so, and, and he was an archbishop. So whether you're a priest or a bishop or an archbishop or a cardinal, right, there are people who are canonized, who are beatified, blessed and saints in our church's history, uh, who again, had those those different struggles. And so I'm not particularly sure what your particular struggle is, but that it should not prevent you from pursuing the priesthood if you do feel like the Lord is inviting you. But the thing about pursuing the priesthood is this, is that when you pursue the priesthood, whether it's through a diocese or through a religious order, the discernment isn't only on you. It's also the community gets to also discern with you. They have the freedom to say yes or no. And their, their no, if they say no, it does not mean that you're not holy, that you're not called to be a saint. It just means that they have the freedom to say that we don't think that we'll be best for you and that you'll be best for us. Just like a girl has the freedom to say no if a guy says, will you marry me? She's completely free to say, nah, I'm good. I like you, I love you, but I don't think that you'll be best for me to be a saint by being married to you and vice versa. And so freedom is the operative word here that the diocese is also free to say uh, no uh, for whatever reason they discern and as is the religious community. And so we can't grasp St. Benedict Labre. He's a, another canonized saint who pursued five different monasteries throughout his life. He died when he was like 35 years old, I think. Uh, but he pursued five different monasteries and he was turned down five times because they discern like, hey, like we think you're great. We think you're holy, but we just don't think that we are capable of helping you become a saint and that you are meant by God to help us to become a saint by dwelling with us as a member of our community. So you pursue the path through 
reception of the sacraments and daily prayer and spiritual direction, through visiting different dioceses, through visiting different seminaries, through visiting different friaries and monasteries and religious institutes and communities, and you pay attention to your thoughts and your feelings and desires, but you also uh, present these thoughts and feelings and desires to the particular people in those spaces and places and give them the freedom to say, we want to walk with you or we don't think that this is God's calling for you um, and for us. And so uh, we can't grasp, we can't make things happen, but we can certainly present them. And uh, I do think yeah, you know, sometimes we don't see the full picture. Sometimes we have like a general vision, but we don't get the whole thing. And so it's important for us to not try to, I think desolation happens in my life whenever I get like a big picture in prayer and I try to put all the pieces in place. Whenever I begin to put the pieces in place, that's when desolation comes from me. Because at this point, now I'm grasping, right? So I just need to be in a posture of receptivity. If I'm going to acknowledge this, I'm going to relate this to the people that it needs to be related to, and then I'm going to move on. And I'm not going to grasp at these things happening in my will, my way, in my time, and my walk toward eternity. So to answer your question, you have dignity. You are called to be a great saint, uh, and you have the capacity to be a priest and a religious. And so if you continue to feel called, then I would say keep praying, keep fasting, uh, keep studying. Uh, keep receiving the sacraments, uh, go to spiritual direction, and visit different places in our church so that you can try to identify the place that that feels like home for you. And then when it feels like home for you, let them know and let them also walk with you and be free to discern if they agree and are in agreement and alignment with what you perceive as God's calling. And if it's not God's calling, if you if it can't hurt to try. And the, the ultimate calling that we know you have is to be a saint. And so as long as you stay in a state of grace, like that's the greatest gift that you, that I, that any of us could ever hope for is to remain in relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, period. Uh, Jesus Christ needs to be for you and for me sufficient, whether or not we become a priest, whether or not we become a religious, whether or not we get married. Jesus Christ must be sufficient. God must be enough for us. Because let me tell you, priesthood ain't going to satisfy you. Religious life won't satisfy you. Marriage won't satisfy you. Consecrated virginity won't satisfy you. Only God can. Right. So those are particular paths for some people to become saints. There are other saints in our church's history who were not ever ordained a priest or consecrated religious or married, and they are canonized saints. They were single people as well. So the personal vocation is also important for you to be holding the present moment and for you to be aware of what your gifts are and what the needs are in your community and for you to um, respond to God's invitation for you in the in the day-to-day um, struggle of your of your walk toward heaven. So hopefully that was that was helpful. Um, but I will pray for you, Thomas, that if you are called, if you're being called in that particular way, you everyone's called to be a saint, but if you're being called to a specific state life vocation, I'll pray for you that you have clarity and that you have courage. And I'll pray for the people that you desire to serve that they will receive the gift that you and only you can offer for the church and our process of being purified and transformed by the grace of God. With that being said, let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, God, we love you. We thank you for all of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who preceded us in our walk toward eternity. For those members in our mystical body of Christ who are still being purified in purgatory, we ask that you give us the grace to, to know how to pray and how to fast and how to offer up penance for, for their good. God, we ask that you give us the grace to be docile to the movements of your spirit in our own lives, in our own relationships, in our own apostolates, in our own ministries. 
whatever is best for us to remain in relationship with you, God, may we stay there. And whatever is not good for us, may we walk away from, may we let it go so that we can receive from you whatever it is that we need to receive to remain with you, Father, Son, and Spirit on earth as it is in heaven. Father Augustus Tolton, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, y'all stay, stay in touch with me with your questions at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh so that we can continue our walk toward heaven together. I will see you in the Eucharist until I talk to you next time. Thank you.